Here we go. It's the D.C. Sports Huddle. We are sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. And because of the drama and the anxiety of preseason football and the fever pitch that we've reached as it's about to come to an end, we've brought in Sean Anderson to help us debate the burning issues of the day. And before we went on, that the Ravens' preseason streak uh, which apparently dates back to 1893 or something like that. What is it? 21 straight games, right? Or 22, something 22, like that. Yeah. 22. 22. That's, I mean, could the commanders uh, beat that streak this week? And that'll be the launching pad for greatness? Or should we care? Sean Anderson, as always, will give the senator from Pennsylvania the floor first. <laughs> well, Dave, uh, thank you for allowing me to come in and join uh, this uh, this big discussion here. I, I think it's a big deal that the Ravens have won 22 in a row. Now, obviously, it means nothing if the if the commanders win uh, this weekend. You know, so what? But this is what I think. A, it's a it's something about the organization and the way John Harbaugh coaches this team says something about the, the streak. I think that in the preseason, the Ravens, more so than most teams in football, maybe better than anybody in football, get their players ready for week one. And I think there's there's such an emphasis on, on fundamentals and plus special teams. John Harbaugh, a big special teams guy. So I think you've got a lot of guys who are competing for special teams on the Ravens. It's a pretty good gig, I think, as far as uh, those kinds of gigs go in the NFL. And I think that just by the process of how they go about their business, they've just had this fluky streak of winning preseason games because their guys are just better prepared as they go into week one. One stat to know, in the John Harbaugh era, the Ravens are 10-4 and in week one games, and they lost last uh, year, week one, in that fluky game against the Raiders. They had gone back to two, uh, 2016 in, in having uh, week one wins. So I think there's a correlation between winning preseason games and being ready for week one of the NFL season. Well, and look, I was ready to piggyback off that stat. That's what uh, Sean got me excited uh, with that stat when we were going back and forth on Twitter the other day. In that same era, Washington on uh, week one, five and nine. That includes a five-game losing skid. I'm pretty sure that was all under uh, uh, Gruden. Dang. But uh, Rivera's one and one. He's the fourth coach, fifth if you include the uh, – uh, the the very brief uh, interim uh, Callahan uh, era. So I mean, uh, over that span, uh, you, uh, how many times have we talked about Washington starters not playing well in a preseason game? The offense, the, the starting offense, didn't get in the end zone and all that, and then it takes them two three weeks into the regular season to really get going. And then, you know, by then sometimes that's the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. And also uh, Baltimore during that uh, ten and four stretch. Uh, before that that fluky Raiders loss last year, they had won three straight season openers by 30-plus points. They were the first team in NFL history to pull that off. So I think there is a correlation to it. Uh, you know, you're, you're more prepared for the season if your starters are going into games and getting in the end zone and, uh, and, and demonstrating that they are ready for when these games start to count. But more and more, they're not playing starters in preseason. And, of course, you're going up against – I do think it's a fluky stat. 22 in a row is crazy because it's also not only uh, – I agree that they have an emphasis on a winning culture there. Uh, it's like John Wooden, the first thing at practice, the legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach, he would teach his players how to tie his, their shoes. 
and they would all, Bill Walton told the story, that he, he's like, what are you talking? But if you don't do the little things right, then how are you going to do the big things uh, right? But, uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a fluky stat that uh, it's gotten to 22 games. George? Uh, yeah, look, I think it's – look at it a couple ways. <laughs> the, the, the way the organization is – look, every, every, regardless of the games being anything or not, every time as an athlete you take the field, you expect to win, right? Well, it doesn't matter if it's preseason or not. If you're an athlete, you expect to win. So that's, that's part of the culture there. That, that is how they, how, they, how they do it, how they preach it, and I'm all for that. Uh, I do think it is a kind of a fluky thing that they've won 22 straight, kind of piggyback on what Dave said. But do I, you know, the, the whole preseason and getting ready for the regular season, it's, it's kind of interesting now because you see a lot of these teams and players say it, the best way to get prepared for the regular season has been these joint practices because you can control and you can control what you see from your starting offense uh, or starters. But, you know, and, and, but in a football game, if you're playing two drives, maybe you're not going to get any red zone work. But in a controlled scrimmage type thing, again, joint practices – you can control. So players are more and more saying that that gets them better prepared for the regular season. You go back to the Joe Gibbs days, 82, they went 0-4, won the Super Bowl, scrimmaged the Steelers every year during training camp that time. In 91, they went 1-3, win the Super Bowl. So, you know, by not showing much. I, I think it's just a matter of how you prepare in the practice, in, the, in, in practices leading up to the regular season. And I know it's tough to simulate, especially nowadays when they don't go hard in practice, really during training camp. So it's just, uh, you know, just many different ways to look at it and how teams are preparing. But also I would say, I mean, just to kind of push back on that a little bit though, is the, the way the wins and losses in the preseason are not important. That is, I believe true. Yeah. I think what is uh, key and what's sort of led Baltimore to be in a position where they are winning a lot of these games is that their starters are going in, they're playing well, because again, you know, Washington, how many times have we talked about, even on this show that's only existed for two years, how many times have we talked about, uh, you know, the starting offense didn't get in the end zone or they only scored three points or they lost 17 to three against such and such team. Every if summer. you're starting out games well, then when you get to the third stringers and the guys who are, aren't, who are going to be driving beer trucks in another week or two, those guys coming in at the end, there's not enough opportunity for them to, to screw it up and, you know, quote unquote, lose the game. I know it doesn't matter, but I, I think the strong start by the guys who are going to play and going to make the roster is the difference when you're talking about preseason. And let the record show that if you're going to be driving a beer truck, you need to know how to drive a stick. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, to, to echo Rob, you know, are the wins important? Not necessarily, but I think the effort, uh, the discipline, the focus that you want to see from not just your starting unit, but your backups as well, your, your first and second string, that's important to see. And that's what we didn't see under uh, J- uh, Jay Gruden when he was the head coach. I think that's kind of what we've seen from Ron Rivera. We haven't seen the execution, but I think we've seen the effort. We've seen more of a purpose of mind on the field from the first string, from the second string. And I think that's important. That's more important than the wins and losses. 22 straight wins can be a a product of a lot of different things. I think it's a fluky stat. They don't hang up banners for it. You know, unfortunately, I remember when Bruce Allen was trumpeting how great uh, the Burgundy and Gold were in preseason. And they were really good in preseason under, I think, the latter Shanahan era and early Gruden. We all know about Osaka and how well that translates into the regular season. I think if... Washington wins this Saturday. I think they can 
hang. I think they can celebrate that as much as they celebrated beating Green Bay, the Giants, and the Ravens in consecutive years, the years that they won the Super Bowl, which is a whole heck of a lot of not. You know, that in five cents will get you a good cup of Jack squat. Well, the <laughs> and that's and that's premium Jack no, squat. I know. Too. And he gets you a decaf. I heard you use that line this morning on the air. The Jacks. So that's now in your vernacular. If I'm using the term vernacular, right? Yeah. So uh, all right. So but given that our wins and losses don't matter, but but execution, how how they're looking in, in moments. George, you're the one with the suntan because you've been watching every practice. Uh, <laughs> should we be excited? Do you think? Uh, I mean, Ron Rivera had a quote I played the other day on WTLP just about he's discovering more and more about Carson Wentz and his his desire to to prove and and continue to excel. He seems like he's in the right frame of mind. What do you what are you sensing? Yeah, I sense so that definitely sense that with Carson for sure, and and the offense. Um, you know, it's it's been fun watching that chemistry develop with John Dotson, the rookie. Terry McLaurin, now that he's back out there and watching rookie Brian Robinson is going to start the season at running back. Just watching that kind of unfold has been fun. The offensive line is a problem I mean, the injuries are still piling up. So um, that, they, but they still have two weeks to get right. You know, with this, it's basically like an extra bye, a bye week after this last preseason game. I'll tell you one thing though, is that, that he's not happy about is the, the di- discipline on the defensive end. And you can tell he's not happy with what we've seen the last two weeks. Uh, and I, I, but this that, has come up before. This I know, come. I know, and it's 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 going to be a problem. And I don't know. I, I think you're going to see a very short leash this year. I think I've mentioned before. Ron is he's not messing around. He knows he has to win in year three. And I think you're going to see short leash on whether it's players, whether it's coaches. You cannot afford. And I'll say it again, and I said it hundred times already this this summer. You cannot go and lose to Detroit and Jacksonville to start the season. You just can't right. do it. Sean Anderson, need your perspective because, of course, after the Juan Soto trade, you uh, uh, made it clear that Washington has no shot for another 100 years. And, uh, <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> so so, so, uh, so uh, your perspective, do you have any feeling, gut feeling? I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, the, the Washington commanders lead the league in X factors. There are so many variables on this team this year that you, you could sit there and say, boy, if they do this, they could be 10 and seven, they could be a playoff team. And you could just as easily see, see them be seven and 10. And I mean, you know, you mentioned Carson Wentz, he's going to be the obvious big X factor. You mentioned that on last week's huddle, but a guy like Jamin Davis, a linebacker, does he make the big leap in, in week two? Uh, Benjamin St. Just you know, as a corner, does he establish himself as, as a, a quality corner? You know, at Brian Robinson, how well does he do? Is he going to be the guy? There are like so many Curtis Samuel, I mean, I would love to see Curtis Samuel be the guy he was in Carolina. If that happens, opposite Terry McLaurin and, and Dotson, my gosh, they, what, a, what a core. That's a nice core. But there's so many ifs. And, and it's just I can't – they're not an organization that has high football IQ year in and year out. And if they don't show that this year, they're gonna, it's going to be the same old stuff. Yeah, well, and, that's, and that's the thing. So, and that, that's the thing. It's like there's no reason when you think of this team and you think of the playmakers out there – to think that naturally they would take a next step just because just because of the difference in quarterback alone with Carson Wentz as compared to Taylor Heineke and Ryan Fitzpatrick for a quarter last year. But just the other guys around them, there's no reason to logically think that they can't take the next step. But then, to your point, look who we're talking about. I mean, it's very easy that they go out there and just, you know, and have given us no reason to believe that they're ready to take the next step, which is disappointing. 
And that's why so uh, it was so odd to me uh, when, and I, I don't think we touched on this before, when, when Jason Wright kind of went after uh, the Channel 7 reporter for the line of questioning with uh, Wentz a couple weeks ago. It's just like, you guys don't make moves that are above reproach. You guys make moves that are inherently questionable. So it's like when you ask fair questions, then they get defensive because it's like, then it's, hey, that was the last regime or that was this person. It wasn't me. Well, I mean, you're taking checks from the guy who is responsible for it. So it is a uh, it is a good question. And I think what concerns me as we get closer to the final preseason game is this pass rush that was, I think, fourth or fifth in the NFL two years ago, 17th last year, and will not have Chase Young for the first four weeks. And I believe that includes two division games, the Eagles and the Cowboys. So, you know, it's... It's not comforting to see what's happening, especially the way they played defensively against Kansas City. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the game, but you got to make a stop on third down. That was an issue all last season. They were second to last, I believe, in the NFL at getting off the field on third down. And without a pass rush, that secondary is going to be scorched this year. Well, and I think also this, if Curtis Samuel, and again, using Sean's if word, because it is, we're in the if stage with this team. Uh, there is the potential for a dynamic offense if if the quarterback is protected. I think the real question is on defense. We expected so much more from the defense last year. And when I hear Ron Rivera talk about uh, discipline and players trying to do too much, it, it sounds like a rewind. And, and I think about a team that how often did we see last year was hurt giving up the big play. They would they'd make a couple uh, stops and a couple downs and bam, all of a sudden a 40 yard pass play. So if this defense <laughs> does not improve or get back to the defense that earned such a reputation two years ago, it's going to be a long season. Yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, the defense has to play at a certain level because however much better we think they are with Carson Wentz, they're not going to be one of those teams that's scoring 30 points a game. So no, no, I, I just think, I think they're going to be people more solid with the uh, look. Taylor Heineke was a, a fun thrill ride, but I mean, mm-hmm. I think we learned that, you know, it's, it's not, he's not an a quarterback in the NFL for all his effort. And, and you know, it's, it's the if season, Sean coined it. You can go ahead and put a hashtag. It's, it's if, if is the word for the Washington commanders and by the way, are people still getting used to the name Commanders? I had somebody come up to me yesterday and said, what do you think? How do you think the Commodores are going to do this year? I said, <laughs> Once, twice, three times. A nickname. And I'm thinking it, it really caught me off guard. I'm thinking, and then I realized they're talking Commanders. So that's anything else we should know about the Commanders. Nobody's going to wear number nine ever again, right? Yeah. 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 And well, here's the I'm, thing, man. This was, this was a rant that we had in the newsroom. I even did it on air a couple of times. If you look at the schedule, first of all, kudos to them. I'll, I'll give them credit for announcing this on Sonny's 88th birthday. So good on them for, you know, the timing of the announcement. It wasn't a last second thing like it was with the with the Sean Taylor jersey retirement. But my question is, why would you put it on week 18, January the 8th against Dallas? I mean, uh, uh, how, how much more can the fan base take if you're going to honor uh Sonny and probably get him sick it's 88 he's 88 years old you're going to trot him out to uh, midfield on January the 8th i mean come on man there there was a perfect situation for them 
against the Tennessee Titans, October the 9th. You could have retired number nine on the 9th. It's earlier in the season. Presumably, it's going to be warmer than it will be on January the 8th. That would have been a great time. And plus, it's not going to be as high stakes a game. If Washington is still in the conversation for the division or the playoffs or what have you, and then you're going to get the doors blown off you 45 to 10 by Dallas, because that's usually the kind of games when you try to put something, uh, you know, uh, big celebrate uh, celebratory, uh, uh, you know, theme to a game against Dallas, they usually ruin it for you. So I, I just hope that that date doesn't end up biting them uh, in the ass in the end. All right. All right. Anybody else are worried about the the date of the retirement, or should we adjust Rob's medication? I, I think I'm they could have done it. My medication I, I saying, is I, I, the only thing. Off. Yeah, what we're talking about is medication. I only the, my thing is it's the way you've been going. It's going to be eighty five percent cowboy fans. That's going to be the sad part for True. me in January. That's going to be the sad part. I think they could have done it. I uh, believe week three, Philadelphia comes to FedEx Field, the other team uh, that Sonny played for. If Jeff Fisher were the head coach of the Burgundy and Gold, you better believe he would do that to stick like he tried to do with having the guys that he got from the RG3 trade. Plus, there's no way that uh, Washington will be 0-3 when uh, they face Philadelphia because they could – It'll be week three, so they won't be that. At, at, at the very least, they'll be only two games under 500. When they'll also, if the Jess Eagles. Fisher was coaching Washington, that's how they would assuredly win only seven games again yeah. in 2022. They've won seven back-to-back years, my friend. John, I'm with you guys on this on uh, on Sonny Jurgensen. I do want to just add one thing, Sonny Jurgensen, as a broadcaster, and this is, is an aside from him. This is a bit of an aside here, but I also want to give. We remember if we were here long enough, we remember the, the halcyon days of Frank, Sonny and Sam on the on the radio. And I believe that one of the great things about that trio was Frank Herzog. And I, I just want to make that shout out to him because, you know, Sonny, Sonny was great at having the feel for the game. Right. I mean, he could you know feel what the offenses were going to do and and how it was going to work out. And Frank Herzog. As you, all you guys, all of us have been play-by-play guys. We've we've run booths. We know the difficulties of it. For Frank Herzog to run a three-man booth and allow Sonny Jorgensen to shine as an analyst along with Sam Huff, the way he managed the game and then managed to tell you what was going on at the same time, I think that that was spectacular, and I just wanted yeah. to put that out. Some of the greatest radio you'll ever hear. Uh, yeah. The, the yeah. three of those put together, and, and it was because uh, Frank Herzog uh, remembered the game is the thing. And it wasn't about him. And and so he let Sonny shine. He let Sam shine. And it just, it was eavesdropping on a conversation every Sunday. And oh, by the way, you heard the play-by-play of what was going on and, and you turned down the sound. That's what we did. Uh, and also a bear's pointing out that uh, Sonny was the first, well, not the first, but in terms of the prolific passer. I mean, he was a prolific passer in an age where there weren't prolific oh, passers and- yet. We get spoiled by what we see in today's game. Right. Sonny was uh, was doing things similar to that uh, long before that was cool. So, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's way overdue in, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he retired 48 years ago. So uh, taking numbers out of circulation, that's never been uh, cool to me. I think it's, it's great that they're retiring the number. Well, Another thing about so- Sonny, too, is that he held the NFL passing yardage record in a season from yeah. 1961 to, I think, 1979. It took Dan Fouts and Eric Coriel and the rules changes, uh, you know, beyond 
beyond the NFL's dead ball era for Sonny's records to be broken. Uh, you know, yardage that he set with the Eagles and then uh, with the Burgundy and Golden. Uh, again, we've talked about uh, Sonny as an analyst. If you didn't know that he was born in 1934 and you listened to a random game maybe 10, 15 years ago, you would have thought that Sonny may have retired 10, 15 years previously because Sonny was so current. And a lot, you, we see this a lot of time in TV and maybe, you know, here, there, and everywhere where analysts, they, they, they're not as current and they, and some of them mail it in on, on the biggest stage and that's not ideal, but Sonny really did his homework every Monday. He was out at the park in, in Ashburn and he stayed a student of the game long after he had graduated. Yeah. No, and nobody chopped a cigar better than Sonny as well. That was a great luck. Even when he wasn't smoking, it just had it in his mouth. Talk about the passing, though. You talk about the passing. This was a stat that came up as a a retirement announcement. To be honest, I hadn't thought about it even. I I don't know if I knew this, but he was the last Washington quarterback with over 30 touchdowns in a season, and that was 1967. Yeah. I come as a shock to anybody else or – no, I mean, he's still thought, their second leading passer in terms of uh, touchdowns and yards, even though he, again, he retired 48 years yeah, ago think of the in year, an right? era where Those the were passing game was not what it is today. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I mean, he's he's an all-time great, not just in this franchise's history. He matters in the entire uh, pro football lexicon. We look at, uh, and this is an aside, but similar case, uh, Len Dawson, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Chiefs and the Dallas Texans, the Browns and the uh, Steelers passed away earlier this week. He and Sonny, roughly the same age. Uh, Sonny, it's a shame that Sonny didn't have the coaching when he was in his prime. He had a bunch of guys, uh, Otto Graham, one of them, but he, he didn't really have somebody to work with them until Vince Lombardi, who tragically passed of cancer a year into it. And then he was never really healthy when George Allen was in charge. And it's a shame that Sonny didn't have a guy who could maximize his skills like Hank Stram did with uh, Len Dawson, but uh, two very similar career paths. They were franchise quarterbacks, made starts into their 40s. Not many people, you know, Sonny actually led the NFC in passing as a 40-year-old backup coming off the bench in 1974. They were great at the network level, but they always seemed to be moved aside for the Tom Brookshires or, say, the Bob Trumpies, and then each found his home in in his home market and each equally revered. You, You can't think of a Chiefs game uh, on the air without Len Dawson, who broadcast uh, their games for 30-plus years. Same case with Sonny Jurgensen, even though he's been off the air for a few years. Okay. But talking about the touchdown, the touchdowns, I just want to look it up real quick. The only other ones I would think would be that had to be close was the 83 team yep. that set the score. Theismann just I just looked it up, threw 29 touchdowns and ripping 28 in 91. So that's how close. Cousins was close, too, I think. Yeah, and Kirk, it, 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 Kirk or Kirk? Guys, both. Well, he he threw 15 as Kirk and 16 as Kurt, so he they 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 don't count. And we live in a party, a town where uh, we like to have two parties. It seems for everything. And Sonny was part of that. Sonny, you're either in the Sonny camp or the Billy Kilmer Mm. camp. This that was part of the early 70s. The Sonny Jurgensen, or I I was for Billy, or uh, et cetera. So nobody was for Randy Johnson. And bumper stickers, right? Oh yeah. Yep. And Joe Thais was the third string initially of those when he, uh, Sonny and, and Billy. Yeah. All right. Um, a lot of news this week is, is uh, monumental sports entertainment. Uh, and again, full disclosure, I do the Washington Wizards play by play, but uh, this caught me a Washington Post story saying that uh, they're serious bidders for the, for the Nationals. And now that they purchased a sports network or buying a sports network, it, it to me, it does seem to have 
some legs because uh, you need content. And what has been missing from NBC Sports Washington and before that Comcast Sportsnet is is summer programming uh, of of that you know volume. Uh, they've had soccer on, but it's not enough games. Whereas uh, obviously Major League Baseball gives you 162 games. So I, I think this is a story to watch. And and we hear uh, that that uh, we might know something in the next couple of months. And and I think it's also a product of of the, the world we're living in right now with with uh, the way offices we're on a zoom call right now uh the learner family is uh, commercial real estate is a big part of their empire and you, and again i don't know this but i have to believe that's hurting and that might be part of the motivation uh for the for their sale of this but uh suddenly a, a dramatic week when you think about a television network being purchased and i think the next thing to happen will be some kind of involvement with the, with the nationals and because you have an interesting dynamic going on in Baltimore. Something's going on with the Angeles family, how that sorts out. I could see a, a, a scenario where finally the Nationals are on their own television network. Except I think what has me what has me potentially excited about that, Dave, is the fact that you see what NBC Sports Washington does with their Wizards and Capitals programming and the extra shows and this, that, and the other thing, and then you see what Masson offers. It's it's it, they offer they do. It, it's almost as though they're doing the bare minimum as far as their Nats programming. And I, I would love to see what NBC Sports Washington could do with wraparound Nats programming. A couple of years ago, George actually hosted uh, the show, the baseball and beyond or whatever it is that uh, Bruce from Wheaton would call, uh, you know, sporadically. So I, I, I'm excited to get the Nats programming in Washington hands because for years, the Nats have been a red haired stepchild uh, to uh, whatever the Orioles decide to do. And hopefully if this sale does go through, we'll have better Nats programming because it has been lacking in, in recent years. And also it's, it bears pointing out that NBC Sports Washington is also one of our partners, but also just objectively, their, their stuff is good. Their stuff yeah. is good. So, and especially compared to what uh, what we get with Masson. So uh, I would love to have that just be one big hub where and and here's another uh, uh, example of that. I have YouTube TV. I don't know who else uh, uses that, but you, you don't uh, like you have to pay for a pretty expansive package in order to get Masson on your uh, on a lot of uh, cable systems. I'm sure uh, more than just YouTube TV. But uh, in terms of being able to uh, have more access to Nationals games. Uh, uh, you know, via via some of these uh, cable channels, so uh, that that would be a great uh, a boost to their viewership, I would imagine, and also the accessibility for fans. DC Sports Hunter, we're into the final moments here. Sean Anderson's our special guest this week. You hear him every afternoon with Sean and Hillary. Uh, they're not married, by the way, but just great. That <laughs> he's Marshall. Sean. No, for, so, for those for those yeah, who are I, confused, he's he's yeah. Sean and the Sean and Hillary and combo. And You've got the floor. What what else is with burning on the the? And I say burning with the because if you people heard your commentaries on the Nationals, the passion you bring with with uh, sports, we need. So what's burning? Burning. Okay. I, I got two things that are burning. One has to do with Ted Leonsis potentially buying the Nationals. Wouldn't that be a perfect fit for this market? Think of it. I've, I've been on record as saying the Nationals are going to be uh, long-term irrelevant here because of what they've done with Juan Soto and everything else. But this is why if Ted Leonsis buys the Nationals, Dave, you can I think you can back me up on this. Think of how Ted Leonsis has owned teams in this town. He was minority uh, stakeholder in the Wizards, bought 
Caps, then took over the whole operation. He is fan centric, right? I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think I think the things he does, he doesn't pay lip service to fan service. I think he believes in it. And whatever we want to think about sports betting, he's been at the forefront of things like that. Uh, the game presentation at Nash at uh, Capitals games, one of the best you'll see anywhere. So I think that if he takes over the Nationals, he's going to focus on fan service at Nationals games. And they're going to need that until they build the team up to a point once again that they are winning consistently and the fans are just coming to the ballpark because they're winning. I think I think Ted Leonsis would be a great addition to, to to the Washington sports scene as the owner of the Nationals. And the second thing that's burning, or was that two? Second thing is burning. Okay, I talked about uh, Juan Soto and the trade, and I was uh, not uh, all that happy with. But uh, last weekend, I was in Lynchburg, and I saw the Fred Nats play Lynchburg. Okay, James Wood is one of the, the prospects who the Nationals got in this trade from San Diego. He may be end up being the stud in this trade. I watched the game. The game that I saw him play, uh, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he did one great Juan Soto thing. He got fooled on a fastball on the first pitch and thought it was going to be a breaking pitch. And then it was the opposite. He thought it was going to be a breaking pitch, got fooled on the fastball. He's down 0-2, all right? Most young hitters, they get discombobulated. They end up striking out because they do something dumb. Wood looked at the next pitch, fouled off the, the fourth pitch, took three more pitches, took a walk. That is Juan Soto-like plate discipline. And plus, every ball he hit was hard. Whether it was a ground out, a base hit to, to right field, every swing, every time he hit the ball, it was hard. So look for James Wood to be in Harrisburg next year in double A. I could see this guy coming up in two years. All right, and of course, we'll that's send why you bring in Sean, boy. That's the cleanup hitter right there. That's, yeah. that's why we're going to send Sean to Harrisburg next year to all the scouting force. We're out of hey, time here on the DC in Harrisburg. Don't do that to my guy. For George Wallace, they, uh, great, they, great capital city. You're from Pennsylvania, right, Sean, in West Virginia? Yeah, I'm from uh, Western PA near Pittsburgh. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Well, that, that, you'll enjoy Harrisburg. George Wallace, come <laughs> on in. We're going to have Dave Johnson. Remember, the DC, uh, the DC Sports Huddle is sponsored by MGM National Harbor for the latest in Washington sports. Visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. Break. Hey, Nissan, how do you get to the top? Calculating. Proceed to 1959. Take a hard left in East Africa at the 71 Safari Rally. Veer right for 19 off-road championships in the Baja Desert. Proceed towards Moab. Take the trail to Hell's Revenge. Include steep incline. Continue for the next million miles. Um, where to first again? 60 years, millions of miles, and the capability to take you anywhere. This is the new Nissan. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.